0: Hello. Today we've got Stuart Hayes from Stuart Hayes Leadership uh, coming to join us on the Comeback
1: Game, mate. How you doing? Very well, Barry. And uh, it's an absolute pleasure to be here and on the podcast and to see you.
0: Yeah, it's been a long yeah. time.
1: It's been, it's been, it's been probably six months. And you know, I mean, we try to catch up on a fairly regular basis, but six months, uh, yeah, it just seems
0: to go so fast these days. Well, they say time flies when you're having fun, so. And you've recently moved, I hear you've moved.
1: Yeah, look, it's uh, it's funny, you know, I guess um, I grew up in Melbourne and grew up in the suburbs and then, you know, as soon as I graduated from uni, I grabbed everything I could hold in my two hands and sprinted to the inner city and, and aside from five years in Asia, I've lived um, predominantly in inner Melbourne for the better part of 25 years. So heading back out, uh, it's, it's awesome. A completely different lifestyle, I, I guess I probably underrated it a little bit, but mostly family reasons you know my son's going to high school so we're moving and you know if you're not moving you're standing still you're not growing mate you know how it goes
0: (laughs) well it's an interesting topic um you mentioned you know if you're not green and growing you're up and rotting right if you're not moving you're standing still and i suppose before we dive down the rabbit hole on that one like who are you like who's stuart hayes like where have you come from what is it that you actually do why should people listen to you right now or Probably watch people who listen to me, but you know, <laughs> like who are you? Like, let's, let's, yeah, get look, them more you know, yeah. watch
1: the listen to me. I guess uh, people can form their own, mm-hmm. own opinion on that. In many ways, I've had a pretty blessed career, um, and I guess I, I look at my own career in a couple of different phases. The first phase was was coming out of university, getting swept into the global consulting arena, you know, ultimately at the age of 27, being appointed by, um, the richest man in the world at the time to become the chief executive of a company that was privately owned and a client of the biggest consulting firm on the planet, who I worked for.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So, you know, I, I went out of consulting and started becoming a CEO at 27, uh, had 3,000 staff, had 100 Gurkha soldiers to protect me and my family and, well, my staff and assets I should say at the time. And you know, I guess uh, what I what I knew enough of at the time was that I didn't know anything. and the good thing about being uh, working for such a prestigious uh, consulting house was that every th- two or three months, I would get brought back into a training arena, and I'd be flown across to Chicago, and I'd sit in a room with, like, like this one, and there'd be these dudes with with knuckles full of NFL rings that I'd never heard of. I don't even know who they were to this day, but they they talk about leadership, and they talk about growth, and they talk about cash flow, and all the things that mattered, and how do you turn a company around? Mm. Um, and that was my bag, you know. I, I worked in the part of my organization who specialized in train wrecks and how, how to save them. Mm. And, and that really launched my career. And, you know, I, I guess after two and a half years of running companies, uh, living in Asia at the time, and being exposed to this ridiculous lifestyle, you know, and honestly it was ridiculous. You know, in any, You know, it stretched my mind about what wealth is, about what success is, you know in every capacity i was faced with the prospect of going back into uh hong kong office and i just couldn't really do that mate you know i had been i had been expanded beyond my elastic limit and instead i came back to australia and and continued being a chief executive you know who would go into companies that were in crisis that were were stretched that were stressed and i'd start to turn them around Mm. and and you know that probably was something that i I'd learned, and I had the theories on it, and I'd practiced it on someone else's payroll. But when you get out there and you're running businesses that are not 10 billion US dollar businesses, but that are, say, doing 10 million turnover or 100 million turnover, it's much smaller, and you know, it's so much more real. Mm. Um, And what I found was that the theories and the the approaches that I I guess I'd use successfully in bigger companies needed to be adjusted. Mm. I needed to be much more authentic, you know, I needed to be be someone who really led people instead of just coming in, seeing a blueprint and requiring it to happen. And Mm. it was probably around that time, I guess, for me that if I think about when in my life did I get my clearest picture of what real leadership was, was in that era of just coming back from Asia uh, I was about 31, I think, and, and in that next 11 years of running companies as a CEO, company after company after company, and what people needed to turn companies around was not my blueprint, mm-hmm. it was my leadership.
0: Mm-hmm. and
1: not, not, not my management, not my authority,
0: but my leadership. It was interesting, you said something earlier, like, you say, 27-year-old kid. Yeah. Right, pretty much. Yeah. You know, put in a position to be CEO of a of a company owned by at the time the richest man in the world. And at that point in time you were smart enough to know that you didn't know what you didn't know. Yeah, I didn't know anything actually, right? Didn't know anything. Anyway, <laughs> I mean, and, said, I
1: mean and, and why why did I know enough why did I even know that it was because um, I'd done enough investment in my own self-development in my early 20s, outside my career, right? Mm. So, I was working at KPMG then at Anderson during that early te- first 10 years. And incredible uh, training, technical training about how to do things, mm. but not who to be. Mm. So I went outside those organizations to learn what mattered most and what ultimately got me a CEO seat at
0: 27. This is such an interesting topic, right? Because. The CEO seat wasn't based on specific runs on boards. It wasn't based on skill set. It wasn't even based on a magic blueprint. You were hired by your ability to inspire and influence. Now think about, think about that for a second, right? Because in order for you to get that seat at the table, you had to inspire and influence the richest man in the world. Well, indirectly. In, indirectly though, yeah. right? It through. wasn't like you impressed him by your, your your years of acumen and results on boards for companies. You impressed him through your leadership skills. But to kind of come back to what you said just a moment ago as well is that these people in these organizations you've worked in, they didn't need your blueprint, they didn't need the skillset, they, they needed your the leadership. They needed my leadership. Yeah. So what was it about your leadership, right? Because what was it about your leadership that A, allowed them to buy into that, allow them to be moved and touched and inspired by that leadership, but B, allowed them to get results because ultimately you could lead people but if they're not getting results you know it last too long <laughs> right. I mean it's a good question
1: right and I, and I feel like I, I just want to um say one more thing about that first role that was it was an outstanding role out of left field mm-hmm. but in many ways I think you know I paid the price in self-development in, in every capacity in in public speaking um I, I learned all about business planning and and you know I basically did an MBA on the side in my own time, mm. speed reading, mm. everything that I could mm. to have an edge mm. that would allow me to perform better in the workplace. Right. Mm. However, really what it did is it got me in the right place at the right time. So that when the opportunity came, I was just in the right at the right time. You, know? you were ready. And it came and I got it and I ran with it. Um, and it was because I was available in Asia, smart enough, well-regarded enough, um, the relationship between my firm and the family, you know, the royal family of this country, was sufficient that you know I got the seat. Mm. Um, but you earned the seat, though. You didn't get the seat given to you. Had you the seat, and then I and then I paid for it, for it in space. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I used to have a whole head of hair, mate. <laughs> but you ask about you ask about leadership, about inspiration. You know, it's funny because. I think of, there's a real difference between being a leader and being a manager. And mm. For me, um, when you're a CEO, you have authority and you've got processes and controls and, and your rank. And you can make people do things at risk of losing their jobs. Mm. Right? However, um, I mean, we've all experienced this too, right? Like, What's the first thing that happens when you're, when you're working for a micromanaging type boss who uses that sort of approach to get you to do stuff? Mm. What's the first thing that happens when they take a holiday? Mm. nothing right mm. everyone goes along and, and and just starts wasting time and doing what they want to do in the first place mm. however if you inspire people and you motivate people mm. and you and teach something and, and to feel you yeah. know, and you can connect with them with your heart that's when it's very different mm. and people choose to follow you not because they have to but because they want yeah because you're doing something that resonates with them that that you know generally speaking is making their world or the world better in some way yeah um, and that's really ultimately for me what it's all about you know, it's, it's helping people see the connection between something beautiful in themselves in the world and what they're doing in their work every day yeah and making that real yeah and being and being authentic and humble and you know um, on the journey so that you're a real person you know you're not this Crazy person who's had all the successes in their life because I just talked about the first chapter, but you know, it, I haven't got to the turning point, you know, which, mm. which really for me was an inevitable correction, you know, for my ego to go through <laughs> to come <laughs> this, back from. This is what I want to hear. Yeah, yeah. You know, and that, and that part of life, uh, I think, is, you know, in many ways, was the hardest but the most important. The correction? The correction, the defining uh, moment. So just to, just for some context on that, for for uh, any of you watching, if you haven't heard me on, on anything else before, that first decade was very successful. You know, and in fact, probably the first 15 years of my career, everything just flowed. You know, like I I, I found that money came very easily, jobs came very easily, um, success came, even if I wasn't looking for it, right? And then enter um, stage left, you know maybe me, really, um, the protagonist in myself, I don't know, but um, a business that I'd started in the screen industry, actually, um, since we're looking at screens as we talk here. the then, TV screens. With so we, we, we ran yeah. the first, I started the first um, in-store media network in Australia where we actually put in media screens into, into stores and we would make TV and we'd sell it and we'd sell advertising so we were in one hundred and fifty locations around Melbourne, and you know we we put this thing together, and, and what you see these days in in pharmacies in particular is exactly the vision that we were doing fifteen years ago, mm-hmm. um, but we just didn't have the cash flow. We we had early cash flow, couldn't sustain it. The thing, you know, it just was a damn mess, to be honest, mate. You know, I I learned more about the that period of deciding to. Do I hang on to this thing or do I let it go mm. about myself and about, um, about myself as a leader than at any other point in my life? And, and the outcome of it was that I decided to, to leave no stone unturned and ultimately to absorb the debt from the thing when, it, when we did close it. So it cleansed me out, you know, it cleansed mm. my wife and I out completely and left me with, you know, in, in, with a one-year-old child, a, a, a shit car. No job, no business, and the last two hundred and forty-seven thousand bucks of debt. Which you know, rather than let the business go bankrupt, I felt that's what I wanted to take. You know, so I took it. You know, do I regret that? Sometimes, you know, (laughs) for sure. You know, I mean, you know, I've essentially paid off the equivalent of eight house deposits before we could get anywhere really advanced in uh, in recovering financially from it. But the real thing for me, the reason that that I I regard that period, which was so painful, and uh, really still staggered that my marriage survived it. Um, You know, Rani was not happy at all. Um, Our relationship was stretched for for a long, long time. But actually what happened was that I started to ask much better questions of myself. And I learned that, I guess I, I was being a CEO, for many reasons. One of them was that I loved it and and I loved the esteem of it. You know, I loved being a CEO and and being a a leader and it was, you know, my ego loved it. But actually, I really didn't love the job that much. You know, what I loved the most was actually working with people and and connecting with people and specifically working with the emerging leadership teams, you know, the the Gen Y kids at the time who, you know, so I had this mantra when I was a CEO that emerged out of this, which was, if you want my job, then come in early and I'll teach you everything you need to know to take it. Mm. Um, And that's sort of how I started down the path of leadership training. Um, The other thing that happened that was really beautiful, really, um, was that even though I'd come from this this background of dealing with companies in trouble financially and and helping them turn around, I'd had no compassion for these people. Mm. I didn't really understand their situation. I couldn't feel it. You know, I I could logically um, project and think about it, but I never felt it, you know. And, and I don't know about you, but you know, when, you, when you've when actually stood in someone's shoes and you can feel the pain that they've gone through because you've gone through it, man, you know, that that changed everything. And so for the first time, really I think in my career, I, I could feel people and I could, that empathy, that compassion was so transformational for me. And yeah. I, I just, you know, the grip of uh, my ego really started to, to shift and change. Mm. Um, and, you know, meditation, um, heart-based meditation was something that I found around that time and it was it was the game changer. Mm. Mm.
0: I want to touch on, th- thanks very much for sharing that. I could feel that there's still, you know, a little bit of rawness about that. And, and I think it's beautiful. The one thing I want to share, um, or, or just come back to, which I think is really important, I suppose, what, what really inspired us to to start up this this podcast the way that we have is around, you mentioned that you learned more, mm. you felt that you learned more through that challenging period of your life as than what you had prior to that. And I think this is a really important point to just dig a little bit deeper to because, you know, we work with so many business owners um, every day of the week and I speak to so many of them that are experiencing so much pain, but many of them are unable to see the blessing in that. They're not able to see the lessons because they're too caught up in the pain, which is easy when you're there, right? Like when you're there, um, that's all you know. But you know, I believe that we're always kind of given in many ways, we're never given anything that we can't handle, right? Now you could have continued to go on the way that you went on, but you most likely wouldn't have experienced the beautiful opportunity to learn the compassion, the beautiful opportunity to connect with people and to feel people and and to, to experience that other side of life that you now have as a result of going through that pain. And I think that, you know, how would we ever know, how would we ever be able to experience the light if we haven't been able to experience the dark? And I think that's one thing that people often miss in life is that, you know, you can't get rich collecting, two, collecting one side of coins. You have to be able to experience and acknowledge and appreciate and accept, in many ways, both sides of life but it's through mastering both sides of life that I think we truly master life itself. For it wise, yeah. Yeah, look, I, I think um, for me,
1: how that would show up before, you know, that say that correctional era, if you like,
0: mm. was denial
1: and mm. really, you know, if you, you know I, run, I run a lot of my clients through psych tests these days to help them with self-awareness, right? Because self-awareness absolutely is the first step to change, yeah. right? But for me, I was self-aware, I was self-unaware. You know? yeah. And particularly those blind spots would show up around um, what I wasn't prepared to admit to myself. And, um, you know, until I could see it and realize it and then coil back with embarrassment that everyone else knew this about me, but I didn't see it, you know, that this denial, this pattern of not actually taking proper ownership, and mm. for me, you know, denial is like the the hallmark of a victim mentality because mm-hmm. you're blaming. You know, you're not you're not actually owning the problem mm. and you're saying, you know, I caused that, it's me. Mm. You know, fails on twenty three, mm. um, and
0: then you go about fixing it, but you have to take ownership. Yeah, I think true transformation starts. Like I was sharing this with um, someone the other day. I think true transformation starts the moment that you can accept all of that that is right in the situation, or, or all of that that is the way you'd like it to be, and all of that that's not, yeah. right? I think so often, so many people spend, you know we all do this, a mass amount of energy trying to move away from something. But it's like where your energy goes, you, you, you know, where your focus goes, your energy flows, your results show so if you're trying to move away from something there's still a certain amount of energy that's focused on that we can't leave that whereas if we choose to love and accept that aspect of that part of ourselves, then we can truly love and ex- accept that other aspect of us as well you know I think this is where it's surrendering to, to all that is and accepting all parts of us that we do experience that feeling yeah. of being completely fulfilled right yeah yeah okay so and that's hard you know
1: that's, that's not an easy thing you know like first step is you're aware of it yeah, you no.
0: Know, second step, accept it. You know. Yeah, and, and, and don't misunderstand for the people out there listening or watching this. Don't understand um, what I'm saying by accepting something. You don't have to like if you're in, a, if you're in a, an abusive relationship, you don't have to accept that abuse. What you need to accept is that you are in an abusive relationship, right? That you're making choices or that you're taking actions that's allowing you to stay in an abusive relationship. Right so therefore there's a level of responsibility that needs to be accepted before you can move on right rather than blaming the other person because you're equally responsible for being involved in that relationship so accepting it is not going hey this is just the way it's going to be for the rest of my life accepting it is going okay I accept my part to play in this this environment this situation I'm now going to make a different decision based on being more in alignment with what I'd like Yeah and an alignment you know I mean that sort of brings it
1: It brings back full circle. I mean, we started this conversation uh, with a loose discussion. We might talk about leadership, right? Mm. But actually, you know, leadership, personal alignment, you know, spiritual alignment, if you like. Really, you know, the more I've gone on my journey, the more I see them as they are all the same thing, Mm. you know. It's just that when you're dealing with a large number of people, there's more of them that are all aligned. Mm. And in many ways, you know, I I mean, I was uh, recruiting someone this morning and you know that alignment even in a workplace and you know, I feel it feels really shallow to go to a workplace after the things you were talking about but but for that person who is 25 you know wanting to join a team to bring their skill set but in a more expanded type of role, what, I, what I've always taken the view of with alignment with people is that you know come along with me for a while and if I can align you to achieve a step towards The greatest dreams of your life, simply because you're working with me for a period, that's a great success. Mm. And then if you leave in a month, Mm. or three years, whatever, that's Mm. okay. But for that period, we're aligned. We're both walking in the same direction. Mm. That's the great thing about working with people.
0: Mm. Mm. That's just work
1: alignment, you know. And and you know what you're talking about, Barry, is so much deeper Mm. um, and more important. And you know, who knows? You know, I I guess uh, I like to think that. Great leadership is about being the custodian of the culture and the well-being of the staff. Realistically, if you are really leading your people, then and you get that concept, then if they're in a, an abusive relationship, it's going to come out in some way that you can support and help. You know, mm. even this is this is possibly completely inappropriate to talk about. You know, mm. because as a CEO, you're not a qualified counsellor. Mm. But actually, you know, as a CEO. You are a coach. You yeah. are a salesperson.
0: You are a counselor.
1: You're selling visions. You,
0: you have a responsibility, responsibility too to, um, you know, actively assist your your tribe to experience a better quality of life. Yeah. That's true leadership. Yeah. But that old military shit that we used to use years ago is out the door. Although unfortunately, there's still some companies. That, that are modelled that way. Yeah, there is. Uh, but I think true leadership is, as you said, like embodying the vision and mission values of the organisation, allowing others to to meet you there, you know, inspiring others, you know, helping others to become unstoppable in the organisation, whether it be for, you know, a short period of time, a medium period of time, or a long period of time. I think it's really important. I suppose before we, we, we finish things up, like, is there anything you want to share around that business turnover aspect? Because, you know, there'd be a lot of business owners listening to us or watching us um out there at the moment that are possibly not exactly where they'd like to be in there. Yeah, businesses. you know, I mean
1: this is the most beautiful thing. And I, I mean I was introduced on stuff on stage one day as a guy who turns around companies with heart not hatchet. Heart you know, not hatchet. Which was for me one of the coolest things I could possibly ever um ever have been introduced at as. And really why that was the case is that they that person had heard a few stories about the way that I approach turnaround of businesses mm. and so if you are watching out there and you've got a business that's a bit stretched or staff that are a bit stressed, then don't forget actually that above everything else, these people that you employ, they are every capacity you have to turn around and transform your business. Mm. And the big mistake that people make time and again is that when things are tough, they cut costs, right? Yeah, and they what they do is they cut staff because staff are expensive, right? But when you cut staff, you cut capability, and you mm-hmm. cut the ability. When you cut capability, you're cutting out the ability to grow, mm. to turn around, right? So there's no surprise that after twenty-seven years of, of um, voluntary administrations in Australia, that only six percent of companies have ever survived them. Because in a voluntary administration, you cut costs, you push the thing back out to market again, and you try to. Say, oh, you know, it's all fine, but it's not. Instead, what you need to do is you need to engage your staff. You need to capture their hearts and minds, you know, paint that picture of the future that's compelling, that's inspiring, that's world-changing, and find out how you can align those people towards that. Mm -hmm. You know, motivate them, inspire them, hold them accountable, you know, for Mm -hmm. sure. Bring in coaches, you know. Make sure that they're aligned and they're doing their best every day. But at the end of the day it's your ability to become the custodian of the culture of the team and for me it's always been about how can I create an era in which the people who work in this organization will look back upon for the rest of their lives you know and they will love it and it will be the greatest period they've ever worked in mm. and if and if you're walking across the street from one of those people you'll get to have a situation like I've experienced where someone has skidded their car almost to a halt or jumped out of their car window to come and hug you because of what you gave them in that period that they got to work with you and because of how you made them feel. Mm. You know, and when you do that, those people, no matter how disengaged you thought they were and how close to sacking them you were, they turn around and they deliver outcomes that transcend belief. Mm. That's the beautiful thing, you know. That's why I do what I do these days, you know. Mm. I want to help people create those eras and and when I do and I even as a I guess I could say that I'm an outsider but I don't feel like I'm an outsider, I feel like I'm in it and it's beautiful, you know. It's so uh, it's connecting people. Mm. Mm. So if you want to take anything away from this interview and you have got a troubled business, I mean why would you wait till you're troubled, you know? I mean my challenge out to all my business clients now, you know, just bring in the era, make it a place that people love. Get the most out of them. I mean, you're paying great wages to most people. Why wouldn't you at least get
0: your value from the wage, let alone two or three times that when they're really engaged? Yeah. 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 People won't remember what you've said, but how you make them feel. It's very true. Yeah. Yeah. Stuart Hayes, you're definitely a man of big heart. I really appreciate your time, I know you're busy. It's good that we could catch up again. It's great to see you, Barry. Um, appreciate what you do and appreciate what you do to the world. Um, anyone out there that might want to reach out or resonate with you, how can they find you?
1: Google Stuart Hayes Leadership.
0: Um, otherwise, come through you, right?
1: Yeah. Either way. Excellent. Yeah. Cool. Thank you so great much to see time. you, Barry. Cheers. Thanks, mate. Cheers.